welcome to the Empowering Motherless Daughters podcast, where we empower motherless daughters to change, grow, and heal. discussing discussing the importance of therapy how to go about finding a good therapist and what to look for in a therapist my name is Zainab and I am your host thank you so much for joining me I have with me the amazing Stacy Wright guys she has 22 years under her belt okay she received a bachelor's in psychology and dance and a master's in dance and therapy movement so let's welcome stacy right i'm so excited stacy tell the folks all about you well that's a lot to that's a lot to say um i have been practicing um doing counseling for like I call her Z. Um, I've been practicing for almost 22 years and I have worked in various settings, mostly in nonprofit organizations. I really like working with people that have real issues that need to be addressed. I do individual counseling, family counseling and couples counseling. Um, I love working with children. Um, with a dance movement therapy background, I have a lot of experience with nonverbal communication. So I like working with even autistic children that can't use speech to help them with their treatment goals. Oh, that's exciting. So is that your specialty, like autistic children, or what would you say your specialty is? Well, I started out specializing in children because at that point I was really young and I had no life experience so children was they were definitely where i liked being i liked i like playing with them getting on the floor with them i still do that um oh, wow but i do like the variety i like working with adults and okay. teenagers and couples couples are challenging um okay. but i i do enjoy variety okay well, that's good so how did you know you wanted to become a therapist when so that's interesting. When I was 13, I was dancing. I was training to be a professional ballerina. And my parents sent me down to North Carolina School of the Arts. I was born and raised in Delaware. And I went down there. And I had this feeling about going into the library, which kids probably don't do as much these days. They do everything electronically. Google. But I went into the library and I asked the librarian, um, for a book on dance and people because I love to dance and I loved people. Really? So she turned me on to dance movement therapy. And then from 13 on, I was like, that's it. That's what I want to do. Oh, wow. um, that's, that's what I feel excited about. And that's why I pursued dance movement therapy. My, my master's degree is mm -hmm. a specialty. So I have 65 plus hours, not a standard master's degree. I have a lot more training than most because um, I have more of a specialty. Okay. So I guess with you loving people and you doing loving dance, you're able to incorporate both things because of the love that you have for both of them. And you are able to do that with autistic children that are nonverbal. Right. Do you do like dance movements with them? Mm -hmm. Like, 
you know, when you get on the floor, tell us a little bit, like, what do you do, an example? Well, sometimes um, you do kind of movement games and you help them kind of connect because the mind and body are so connected. Mm -hmm. You have to look at integrating their, their bodies. So sometimes you can see movement disconnections, which are also equated to some of their mental disconnections. Wow. So some of it might even be as simple as tossing a ball, but getting them to have the coordination to do that and then to connect with you because they have to look you in the eye. Certain things that are kind of uncomfortable for a kid that's autistic, you help you know build that trust and help them work on just even simple, very simple skills. And I use it, I, I practice now doing individual counseling mostly but I can see non-verbally if a patient comes in and they're more depressed that day, I can really assess kind of their movement profile from wow. session to session. They don't really know I'm doing that per se, but I can see the moment they walk in, something's different with you today. What's going on, you know? That's, that is a good therapist, guys. Someone <laughs> that can sense your body language and kind of get a feel of what is going on with you without you even having to speak or say anything that's going on. They can kind of feel you. So we will talk about what to look for in a good therapist. And that is one of them. Just a hint, okay? So now I want you to describe or kind of explain to my audience, like, what is therapy all about? Because a lot of people are afraid of it. They have trust issues. They're like, why should I go to a stranger and tell them my business? And for me, I always tell people a therapist is like a girlfriend that I pay to keep my business confidential. Mm. So what would you say? Well, I think they're more objective. I think um, it is a little awkward the first session you go into. I even, after all these years, I feel anxiety when people come to me because I feel like they're interviewing me and oh, wow. they have to feel connected to me. If they're, I always tell them to trust their gut. If their gut doesn't feel right, then it might not be a good fit. Um, so I think it's really important that, you know, the, the relationship and the connection with the therapist, I think, is most important. Um, and that you can kind of gauge at the first session. You can, you can kind of feel it in your body. Like, is this person going to be okay or not okay? Um, because it's not always a good fit and it might not even be personal. It just might be one person might do better with a male therapist versus a female therapist. I've had young boys have crushes on me, so it doesn't work. <laughs> so it's, you know, it's not even personal, but it's finding that person that you can really connect with and feel safe with. I mean, I think you have to feel a sense of safety and comfort with that person. Mm, that is a good one, guys. Feeling safety, feeling connected with the person. And, you know, when you go to see a therapist, you are interviewing them. Please understand that. And if it doesn't work the first time, you are not obligated to go back to that person. To find a good therapist is literally doing research on that therapist. You have to know their credential. Well, that's going to get us into our next question. What credentials should people look for when seeking a therapist? I think you definitely should look for a licensed practitioner. Um, and that can look different. It can be a licensed psychologist. It can be a licensed professional counselor of mental health, which is my credential. Um, or a licensed clinical social worker, they have to meet board requirements and they have to have continuing education, um, you know, 
every two years, like 40 credits worth. So they, they're usually a little bit more, you know, seasoned kind of people. And you can't even get your license until after two years um, of doing some work. So someone fresh out of college or grad school might not be the best mm. person, not saying they won't get better, but someone that has a little bit more experience, um, experience yeah. more seasoned, you know. That makes sense. So when you're looking for a therapist, just like what Stacy said, is you need to look for someone that is licensed, a licensed professional counselor um, that has a master's degree in counseling, psychology, or a related field, you know, a licensed clinical social worker, a licensed social worker. So I hope that the thing to remember here is that they have to be a licensed person, you know, with experience. And you can research this online. You can go to their website to kind of find out, or you can also go to the website. Uh, is a directory file. It's called a therapist website online or a directory, a directory file to see what they are saying about this person, their expertise or Department of Consumer Affairs website for your state. I hope I'm clear. I know I just kind of have like a little moment there, but let me say this again. A therapist that is credential, you can find this information at the Department of Consumers Affairs website for your state, okay? Now, if someone that has trauma, because a lot of my audience, they have experienced trauma, whether it's rejection, it's abuse, it's neglect, abandonment, and they're not sure who to go to. When I post this online on Facebook and I'm like, I am going to be interviewing Stacy. If you guys have any questions, a lot of them were thought I was asking for their personal information and I can sense their fear. Like, oh, I don't want to talk to this therapist. I don't know this therapist. But if someone has trauma, should they be looking for a specific therapist? And who should that be? Um, a lot of people have trauma-focused training. Okay. So there's trauma-focused therapists that have a little bit more training. Um, and some people definitely just specialize in trauma work or abuse. Okay. Um, so I think it's real important to get their, their background, just like you asked me mine, you right. know, it's good, it's good to know your therapist and know what their, what their credentials are, what their specialties are, what they're comfortable with. You know, some therapists aren't comfortable with doing that kind of work. Um, although most therapists end up having to become specialists in that because that's a great deal of what we end up working with. Even if they come in with different issues, there's sometimes often an underlying um, trauma that they're mm -hmm. sort of kind of hiding and not really wanting to, well, let me, let me figure out why I'm, you know, being obsessive compulsive about something or why I'm so depressed. And then you find out as they get safer in the treatment, oh, well, you know, this happened to me when I was a child, or this is, you know, the issues I have with abandonment or whatever, whatever the case may be, hmm. um, as they become more comfortable and safe. Um, it's almost like an onion. I feel like you peel back the layers. And I think if somebody's coming to therapy, they don't have to go right to the core of the onion. They can start out on the outer layer hmm. and work their way in, you know, as they feel more comfortable with the therapist and the, and the process. I did not know that. 
I did not know that. I thought I had to like present my core issues to start the work. I did not know it's like an onion that you peel. So guys, I just learned something new. <laughs> See, I learn every day. <laughs> I am just like you. But talking about um, like, uh, what is it? Compulsive behavior. I do have a compulsive behavior, which is I'm constantly locking doors. Mm-hmm. And I think that stems from my childhood because I wasn't protected as a child. And I always feel like it's my responsibility to protect me and keep me safe. So it doesn't matter where I go. I have to make sure the doors are locked. I have to make sure that there's safety. I'm secured. It doesn't matter who I'm with. I could be with a hundred people. And I'm like, Hmm, why? I never knew that I had a compulsion until I went to college in New York. Oh my gosh. My roommates, they wanted to kill me because I was, I always had to make sure the doors were locked. And if I have checked the door, you better not go out. You know, but I did not know that it was a behavior because of my issues. But when I started reading and going to therapy and I was like, oh, I do have a problem. And I don't know how to get rid of that one. I can tell you, I don't know how to get rid of it. And I haven't discussed it in therapy. I just kind of combined from therapy to my reading. I kind of put it together like, oh, I this is what compulsive behavior is. I'm constantly checking, making sure the doors are locked. It is like crazy. Mm-hmm. I cannot rest until I make sure it is. And that's really important in therapy. If you come in, I, I try to make my office space very comforting mm-hmm. and calm. and Because um, that's the first thing that a therapist has to provide is safety. Mm-hmm. So if you're not, you know, you get in this office and you're not feeling comfortable or safe. Now you have to let a little bit of discomfort. Mm-hmm. is going to be normal. Right. You know, but... If you're not feeling safe and, and if that environment's not provided to you, it may be, okay, try the next person on your list because that might not be the right, the, the right, right person, match, you know? Okay. So now that we've talked about what should we um, look for when we're looking for a good therapist. So my thing here is what are the techniques? What different types of techniques are there? Because I had someone talk to me about Cognitive-based therapy, mindfulness-based stress reduction, acceptance therapy, commitment therapy. And I'm like, what are these things? So most therapists that you go to um, have a very eclectic approach. So they've been trained in a lot of different things. So I have been trained in most of the ones that you've mentioned. Um, And sometimes, like right now, mindfulness is a really big thing for anxiety and depression so that's like I was trained last year in that for eight weeks and actually I was trained in that years ago but it's become really recognized by insurance companies and by um, clinicians that it can really help with that anxiety response or um, if you're prone to like panic attacks or something like that Mm. there's a lot of benefit in that I, I meditate every day I find it helps me. I'm an anxious person. I won't lie. It helps ground me. It helps me feel, you know, like I can tackle the day or whatever's going to come to me. Um, Cognitive behavioral therapy is really kind of changing your thought patterns, kind of um, sometimes we have kind of faulty thinking about things. So Mm -hmm. a therapist can kind of say, you know, I think you ought to look at this from a different perspective or, have you, have you looked at it 
um, through this lens, like how about looking at it from this angle? Um, sometimes we have trouble looking from a different angle about our own issue. So they can help us look at like, oh, okay, I didn't think of it that way. That makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's a lot of, in therapy, I think, um, you know, my clients, they'll say it to me out loud and then they hear it differently instead of it being in your head. You oh, know? I see. And like then they saying, say it, you yes, know, and they're like, yes. oh, that makes, I didn't think of it that way. <laughs> or when I say it, I hear it differently. So sometimes um, I like to do client-centered um, therapy, client-centered approach, which is if you looked up Carl Rogers, he's very much like reflecting back to the client what mm. they've said. Mm -hmm. And that's really powerful. You can't, you know, eclectic is good. Mm -hmm. Doing one solid approach all the time might not always suit the needs of your patient right. or your client. But client-centered, you reflect back to the person a lot. And it's it's really sometimes powerful to hear yourself <laughs> from this other person, you know, that, you know, is just kind of reflecting it back to you to say, hey, this is, so this is what you're saying to me. And then you go, oh gosh, why am I saying that? <laughs> It's kind of like stepping outside of you or the situation and just seeing things like an outsider. That that gives you a different perspective. And I know for me, I've learned a lot about myself and my behavior, my behaviors based on stepping outside of the situation and stepping outside of me. Because a lot of times we're so into our thoughts and into just our emotions that we're not able to see that there could be another way to address the situation. There could be, you know, sometimes we write scripts in our head that are not real. Some Our feelings are not always true, you know. Our thoughts are not always true. So it is our responsibility to kind of look at things from a different angle. That doesn't mean that you are dismissing you. It only means that you are just kind of looking at things on a bigger perspective, you know, looking at it from a big picture, the whole picture, you know. It helps a lot when you do that. So I hope that make sense for you guys. I am learning myself with this whole therapy and my journey. This journey is very, very hard. And I want you to be kind to you as you go through this journey. Please make no mistake. It's not always going to be great. It's not always going to be pitchy. You're going to have good days. You're going to have bad days. But that is why therapy is there. You have a good therapist. You're able to connect with them. You're able to um, be safe and vulnerable with your therapist. So much can come out of that. But the first thing is you need to find someone that is for you, a therapist that is for you, the goal that you're trying to achieve in therapy. <laughs> So um, let's talk about now, we're going to narrow it down. After you've decided what approach or technique you want from your therapist, you've narrowed it down. Another thing that you can do is kind of interview the therapist. You interview them before. Is that something that is a norm in the um, in your field? Um, I don't do a whole lot of that. I at this point in my career, I have a lot of people that are referred to me. So, um, I, but I, I always welcome that. If somebody wanted to call and talk to me before, let's say, having their child seen by me, sometimes I think it gives them just a little comfort mm -hmm. of, okay, this is who my kid's going to talk to. 
Um, I would say that might be a red flag if that therapist isn't willing to talk to you ahead of time. Um, I think, you know, that says a little bit about them, um, you know, cause we're on our own journey too. I don't think any of us have completely arrived, you know, so <laughs> I don't think anyone ever does. You <laughs> so, just continue to evolve, you know? <laughs> right, right. So I, I think that's fine. That's probably not a norm in my practice. People, um, come in. However, that again, like we already said, that first appointment is really telling, you know, do you feel safe with me? Do I feel safe with you? Um, I always give my my clients kind of that out. Like if we're not a good fit, let's find you someone else. It's not, it doesn't have to be personal. So if it's not good, let's get you with the right person that you feel comfortable with. That is awesome. Oh my gosh, that is so awesome because it's like you're not putting pressure on, you know, the the patient, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and that's not fair to the patient. If you have a therapist that put that is putting pressure on you to choose them, that is not the right therapist for you. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying, okay? Mm-hmm. So now we're going to talk about a good thing to look for in a therapist. And I think we've kind of hint several times about it. It's someone that listens to you. They don't put pressure on you. Um, what would you say? Yeah, um, I I actually had a a new patient come in this week that saw a different provider and something pretty sad happened with the other providers. They couldn't continue with that person. Um, So I sometimes feel a little pressured. I'm like, oh, gosh, I have to I have to fill someone else's shoes, you know. And I actually have a tendency of um, Sometimes I say go right for the jugular. I think it's my intuition and my ability to connect quickly. Sometimes I go and ask the questions that people aren't really ready to talk about. So I always give my clients permission to say I'm not ready for that. And I need, I need, you know, I, I need them to tell me, nope, not today, <laughs> you know, because I have a tendency of going for the, the stuff that certainly probably needs to be talked about. But um, so I told this gentleman this and he was, he was so grateful that, oh. you know, I didn't, I didn't pressure him, but, oh. but then that also seems to give people permission. Like he shared some mm. things anyway, cause he knows I'm not, you know, pressuring the situation. Oh, well, that so. is so, that, that makes me want to cry because for someone to feel like to have that appreciation, that means that it must've touched them to the core. You know, they probably have not experienced that too many times. So just kind of tell them, like, listen, you tell me how this goes because this is your healing journey. It's what you're doing. Absolutely. Yeah, that is so awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. When it becomes the therapist agenda versus the patient's, I don't think that's a good thing. It has to be the patient or client's. It has to be their agenda. It has to be... Not that we just sit and talk about the weather every session. We, we have to move a little bit, you know, but I think it has to be at their pace because if it's at my pace, uh, they may drop out of treatment because they feel too pressured. And I think, you know, for your, for your listeners, it's okay to say, I'm not ready for that. Or I, I, I hear you, you know, if the therapist is asking a question, it's okay to say, I'm not, I'm not quite there yet. Can we talk about that at another time? You know? Mm. I am learning, guys. I am learning. I'm just (laughs) like you because I have had experiences, but we're going to get into that now, which is signs of a bad therapist. Now, Mm -hmm. tell me, 
what are your signs of a bad therapist? Because I have some that I research in my experience, of Well, course. and I think you have this one. When you go in and a therapist is using the session for themselves and they're, they're talking too much about their personal issues, that is a big no-no. Now, not to say that um, even like this client I was just telling you about, um, he and I, we got talking about football a little bit because um, I love football and, mm -hmm. he, you know, he grew up in a, a state where we follow that football team. And so making connections is okay. It's, it's okay to talk about things like that. Or if there's certain things, um, the therapist's objective might be to share something to further the client. Mm -hmm. But if they're sharing something to further themselves, not good, not good. And, I, and I've had people say that. Um, I've also heard that therapists have fallen asleep on people. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that is so terrible. So also not a good side, you know? Like um, you know, I, I value so much when someone's willing to share their story with me that I, I can't I, I mean I have never done that ever. Um I you know, if I'm tired I go get a cup of coffee, but that's that's not fair to treat you know, treat somebody that way. That is terrible. I have not heard of that one. Oh my gosh, that is so terrible. But when, as I was doing my research, I heard, of course, a therapist is talking more about themselves. They're constantly interrupting you. Um, they have inappropriate sexual behaviors or they violate your confidentiality. Now, the last two that I just talked about are reportable, you know, that you have to report, you know. I, my first therapy session that I went to, it was someone that referred, well, actually my pastor referred her to me and I went to see her and the whole time I was in the therapy session she was either on her phone or she was um watching the clock mm -hmm. that I mean it made me I could not even be open I could not be vulnerable I felt like she was just there for the money because I was paying her out of pocket because at the time I was per diem at the hospital and I did not have insurance so I was paying her out of pocket and I was driving probably like 40 minutes to go see her because my pastor recommended her and a lot of people um, in the church that I went to they recommended her they speak so highly of her but she was she was terrible. I mean, it was such a horrible experience. She, I wanted a religious person so we can pray in the beginning of the session. Guys, just so you know, you can have a religious person as a therapist. If you want to pray before your session, you want to bring religion into it. If that is your faith, you can have that. So that's why I went seeking for that. Anyway, she was just, I mean, she made me feel so uncomfortable. And I did a couple of sessions with her because I did not know that there are other ways. But I love to read. So, of course, you guys know this. I love to read my books <laughs> now and research. And I realized, well, I don't have to continue with her. So I stopped seeing her. I did not go to her anymore. Now, recently, I had a session with a therapist. This was someone new. My job recommended him. And I went to see him, and I'm sitting on the couch, and he is on the podium. Is that what it's called? He was he had a podium in his office, I swear. That he was standing behind? That he was standing behind. Oh. And I asked him, I said, sir, can you please sit down? I feel like you're over me. It did not make sense to me. Like, oh. he said, no, I like to stand. 
that is too that's too much power over me and you're not making me feel safe so i'm just giving you a couple of examples that i have experienced i don't know if you have some if you do please share so other people can know the bad signs of a therapist like things to look for in someone that is not a good therapist at all so or it may work for someone and it didn't work for you you know it's that goes back to that fit it has to be the fit for you and it might that one from church might have been a fit for other people Mm -hmm. but certainly not for you and you have to trust your trust your gut i did i ran yeah (laughs) (laughs) i ran i was like no she made me so uncomfortable so we're going to get into some audience questions here the first one comes from my boss lady well my ex boss lady Sonia Stover and she says how does one overcome a dysfunctional childhood where as an adult many insecurities arise oh that's a loaded question I know she did it <laughs> Wow well I guess that's where in therapy you can kind of process those interactions and sometimes there's there's a pro, an approach where you look at is it your child person speaking as it your adult or your parent I don't know it's I think it's called transactional therapy don't quote me on that um, so sometimes it's you know in, in treatment you can kind of process and figure out you know if there's a situation um, my dad would probably laugh at me for telling the story but he just told me this yesterday or Friday that he went to see his therapist and he um, he is dating now and this woman, um, he was sharing about his childhood, about um, his mother would go out, have him go out and get mint from the backyard for iced tea. Okay. And it was very emotional for him to share a little bit about his childhood. His parents died by the time he was 18. And he was, you know, he was saying, oh, I had to go out and get the mint for the iced tea. And this, this lady friend that he's just started talking to said, well, do you know those are not indigenous to the United States? And my dad got very upset because mm-hmm. he was trying to share something from his child mm-hmm. part, and she was telling him something factual. So it was a mismatch, and it made made him very uncomfortable. And you know, once they talked about it and they figured it out, and he went to his therapist, and his therapist clarified, you know, mm-hmm. it may be that she was just giving you a fact but you needed her to attend to your emotional piece, you know, your emotional part. So I think, I'm not sure exactly Sonia's question, but I think sometimes you have to figure out what's kind of driving the response. You know, does it come from trauma in your childhood? Does it come from, you know, an overly critical parent or an absent parent or where is this coming from? So um, Hmm. I think you have to kind of look at you know, all of that. So I don't know. Read that question again. Let me see if I... So she says, how does one overcome a dysfunctional childhood where, as an adult, many insecurities arise? Okay. Mm-hmm. So it's, I, I guess it's like, you know, it's kind of hard. I think what she's asking is, after having so much trauma, like for me, I have sexual trauma, I have uh, um, neglect, abandonment, rejection, all of that. And when you become an adult, I mean, you get you have to face them, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, because you're going to constantly deal with them. So how am I able to overcome it? And I think the answer that you just gave is a good one, because 
I had to learn to be like, okay, is it my child? The inside of, you know, um, I read the book Child Within, Healing the Child Within. Is it that, is it my inner child that is speaking or is it the adult that is speaking? What part of me am I trying to take care of? Mm-hmm. You know, so it, it's a lot of work. I'm telling you, healing is no joke. Healing is a lot of work because you have to look at a lot of things from my experience. You can't just be one way. You have to face you, mm-hmm. you know, because yeah. even though you may have had all these issues as a child, that does not mean that when you're an adult now, it's okay for you to behave a certain way to other people mm-hmm. or to be a certain way. So I think what she wants to know is how do you overcome it? And I think your answer is pretty much you have to see what part of you speaking. Right, right. Is and probably right? to exercise boundaries too. Oh, if yeah. somebody is in a place that's not comfortable, um, I think that's a huge that's a huge amount of work I do with people is boundaries and so teaching them that you know I'm not comfortable with what you're saying to me or I'm not you know that's making me feel a certain way. Um, and you know, overcome is a strong word for me because I think a lot of times we have to. When I work with people in trauma, I feel like I'm integrating them. And I feel like um, I often tell them, let's try to get the trauma in the attic of your mind because I don't think trauma goes away. Mm -hmm. So instead of it staring you right in the front of your face all the time, let's see if we can push it back to the attic. Um, So it's still there. So I I struggle with overcoming. Um, I think we can have better understanding of ourselves so we can handle interactions better. and I think there is healing, don't, don't misunderstand, but I think we're all triggered at times. And I think um, even the best of the best in dealing in trauma work, they can still get triggered by if they have a sexual abuse history or any history. Mm-hmm. I remember going to one training and this lady, she, um, she explained that she got off the airplane and there was a smell in the air and it triggered her and she had to cancel the, the workshop. She couldn't, she couldn't present. So I think there's a certain amount of being really fair with yourself and just yeah. saying, you know, today's not the day. <laughs> I'm not doing too well today. And you know, being patient, being very patient with yourself. I love that. I'm going to remember that today's not the day. I'll tell that to myself because, you know, this journey, like I said, it's not easy. And I have my ups and my downs, my ups and my downs. It's a roller coaster. You just keep going. But you know, when I go down, I recognize that I'm down and I seek the help that I need. Yeah. Definitely. So um, let's see. I have another question. And this one comes from Sandra Gobel. I hope I'm saying that right, Sandra. Forgive me. But her question is, can therapy stop the pain for not being loved by a toxic mother. That's that's an awesome question. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of times I, I would like to say yes to that that question. Um, I'm working with a gentleman right now. I've been working with him for years, and we had such a breakthrough this this week. Um, I, I, I really, <laughs> I'm very emotional. I started to cry. And it was oh. funny because when I look at nonverbals, he always sat in this one chair in my office. And I, I mean, it's everybody has their chair in the office, which is really funny. 
he sat somewhere else, so I knew that session was going to be different. Mm -hmm. And he is always, his mother died when he was young, and he has always um, struggled with relationships with females and really kind of figuring out mm -hmm. um, kind of what direction to go in. He, he needs a lot of nurturing, but he never really got that from his mom. So I think sometimes the therapist kind of becomes that role in your life that you don't have. Sometimes mm -hmm. that support system. Yeah, they, 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 exactly. That's exactly the word he mm -hmm. used. Um, now you got to be careful with that. Yes. The therapist should not become the mother. Yes, <laughs> but we can be in that role of helping fix some of that. Um, you know, some of those, you know, skewed thought patterns or, you know, toxic relationships. That's like the that's the key word everybody I feel like is using mm -hmm. right now is toxicity and relationships. Um, so I think, I think there can be some really, um, powerful ways to kind of navigate that. And because therapy is objective and non-judgmental and say mm -hmm. all the things we keep saying over and over, you can do that so beautifully in a, in a therapy session. And, and when you have that rapport with your counselor Yeah. and he's actually planning on moving, this patient's going to move to Georgia, I think. And I think he's good. Like it's gonna be okay, you know. And that is that is so true. You can um, you can stop the pain, yes, because whatever you did not receive as a child through therapy session, you learn that, and you are able to give that to yourself as an adult. Absolutely. You know, sometimes I, I, I'm, you know, you guys know I'm very open. I, I'm not very good at lying, so I'm just gonna tell you. Sometimes I literally hug myself. Because I longed for that as a child and I did not get that. So I will hug myself and just feel warm. And if I want something, I, I go out and get it. You know, I'm not saying that I spend, you know, I'm particular about my finances too. So I don't go crazy, but, you know, I, I take care of my needs. I listen to my body. I listen to what, sometimes our body tells us what it's craving. When I'm having anxiety, I know that it's a thought that's making me feel unsafe. So then I start telling myself I am safe. I start like maybe I will go out for a walk. I, I, will, I will meditate so I become aware of my environment and know that, yes, I am safe. And that is something I give myself because no one told me that as a child. You know, no one kept me safe when I was a kid. No one was looking out for me. You know, till this day, I don't have that relationship with my mother. And that is because I chose to have a non-existing relationship with her for my health, for my well-being. So you can heal. I don't feel, when I think about my mother, I don't feel anger. I don't feel resentment. Because I am okay. I, I feel good about me. And that is a lot of work, people. It is a lot of work. I work on myself every day. It is a daily activity. It's not a one thing and you're done. It's a daily activity. You have to apply. Uh, um, Information or knowledge without application is dead. It's pretty much pointless. You know, if you have the information and you don't apply it in your life. So I hope that she has answered your question. And I am just giving you my experience from that. Okay, Sandra. Another question is, why are 
our mothers this way? Why, why are they so toxic? And this is from Liz Torres. I often say for everything in this world, every career, every, um, even if you were working at McDonald's, you get training. Mm -hmm. We don't, we don't, we don't have to get training to be a parent. No. We, there is no, there is no application process. There is no, we, we are all able to, you know, perform the act and ha and bring a child into the world. So sometimes I think the issue is that it's, it's generations of the same pattern going on. <laughs> And, and, and we have to find in therapy, like you're saying, you can break that pattern. You can engage in self-care and self-knowledge and, and be a better parent to your child or to, you know, the people around you. So I, I think it's, um, it's unfortunate. It's the one, it's one of the most important jobs in the world to be yeah. a, a parent. Yes. Um, but it's, there is no, there's no, you know, there's no prerequisite for that. Um, and then there's perfectly wonderful people in this world that can have children. So it, it's often, you know, you can get into a very, if you're a religious person, spiritual, you know, quandary, like, why is the, why does this happen? Um, but I think you can learn from your experience and it, it can make you a better person. I'm sure it's made you a better person. I, they know all about me. I was a very angry, resentful, oh, just bitter person. Even though I was happy, one thing about me, my base has always been happy, but my trauma kept resurfacing and I did not have the tools on how to address them. So my go-to was anger. Mm -hmm. And I hated that about myself. Oh my God. I hated being angry. I hated being mean to people, you know, lashing out, emotional explosions. I hated that. And from that, I decided I want to be a better person. I've always seek to be a better person. It's something I've always been searching for. I just did not know that I needed a spiritual grounding and therapy to be able to accomplish that. So... Um, our moms, for me, my mom is that way. And I know people are like, oh, I'm never going to forgive my mother. But I do. I forgive my mother because she cannot give me something that she was not taught. Right. And I feel sad for her because for you to be in a space where you really don't have good relationships with a lot of your kids, that cannot be a good space for a human being at all. And maybe she herself doesn't have the tools because my grandmother, she is a very cold person naturally. That is her foundation. That is her base. And that stems from her mother not being present in her life. So if you look at it, what Stacy is talking about is generational. It is true. It is generational because I, she, my grandmother did not get it. My mother did not get it. So why, like how? No one decided to say, you know what, I'm going to do something about this. And here I come saying, you know, this is not going to happen. I'm going to do something about this because my children, my children's children are not going to go through this. And it takes courage and strength to break that generational curse. 
It really does. So I'll, sometimes we have no explanations. There are some people, maybe they're just a sociopath or what, what is the word? A narcissist, a narc is what we call it. And I, I, I don't know. I feel like it's not my place to try to figure out why my mother is that way. For me, my place is she is that way because she didn't get it, or maybe she's a narcissist, maybe she's a sociopath, I don't know. I'm just going to go out on a limb and say it's generational. That is just what I'm going to go out on a limb. And that kind of helps me to forgive her, and it helps me to take care of myself. I'm taking the focus away from her and making it all about me by giving me all the nurturing and love and whatever it is that I missed as a child. Now, another question that I have is, can narcissists, can they change? Can they become someone else? Is that possible? That's a tough one. Personality disorder. That would probably fall into a personality disorder. Yes. They're very hard to treat um, because they don't see the issue. Um, so is it treatable? Um, we say yes, but it's it's difficult. It's it's difficult because that person has to be like we're talking about in therapy. You have to be vulnerable. You have to be humble. You have to be willing to look at yourself. And mm. if you think of a narcissist, they don't really want to do that. So if they can break down those walls and really get to that and see that it's hindering their relationships, oh, then the answer is yes. But if it's if that's a tough one, that's a tough one. Oh really my is. gosh, <laughs> but that know, was not the answer I wanted. <laughs> But it's the truth. <laughs> but you know, the healing process, I, I just wanted to say you're so, I feel like my clients really arrive when they get to the place where the anger is not the primary and the forgiveness is. Um, I do this thing called a uh, healing letter exercise and it talks about, I can get you a copy of it. Um, it talks about all the different things, the hurt, the anger, the sadness, the things that this person has done. And then the last part is forgiveness, gratitude, you know, and being able to kind of let go mm -hmm. and not let that, those burdens stay in you, so to speak, and, and to, to kind of move past that. Um, we can't change other people. We can only change ourselves. So, um, you know, you can use your story to make you better. You know, you can, yes. You can grow and you can change and journey. I love, you know, my favorite quote is, life is a journey, not a destination. We, we continue to journey. Even, even if we're healthier mentally from our trauma, we're still journeying. We're still, we're still on that journey. Absolutely, guys. Absolutely. So again, your healing journey is not a one and done. You are never, ever complete. Just so you know, you never do arrive but you do find peace. You find peace in your situation and you find forgiveness, love for yourself, and even forgiving yourself. And another thing that I wanna say about therapy, a lot of people don't know, is you can go to therapy for whatever situation is bothering you. Sometimes people think if I lose a job or I get fired or whatever the case may be, I'm just supposed to get over it. No, sometimes you need to go to therapy for that because some people, you know, they've spent their life for 30 years at a job and they get laid off. Sometimes they don't know what to do. I'm seeing that now where I work 
and it's it's very hard for them and they can become resentful whenever you are holding bitterness resentment in your heart that is preventing you from being present it's preventing you from living life so whatever you have to do to let go of that resentment if it's therapy then do that if it's spirituality then do that that includes a friendship if you lose a friendship if you lose a relationship any kind of relationship that matters to you that you lose and it leaves you confused lost bitter whatever i want you to know bitterness is just disease in your body you don't want that as a nurse speaking you don't want that in your body because once bitterness starts it manifests physically into a whole lot of other things until next time, Stacy, what do you want to say? Oh, go. thank you for having me. I'm so excited. <laughs> I, I hope I hope this gives everyone some guidance, and I, I hope you all trust your journey. You will you will get where you want. Thank you. Thank you. Oh my gosh, this has been so awesome. I met Stacy a couple of months ago, and it has been a privilege knowing her. She's been so awesome. And she's just been so supportive of this whole process. So I thank you for being here, Absolutely. taking the time out of your busy day to spend it with me. Definitely. And until next time, guys, I want you to be so good to yourself. Be so loving, be so kind, and be patient. Because you deserve all the good things the world has to give you. But you must be open and create space in your heart to receive that, okay?